I was a younger man, and they were much smaller is, I would come home and my kids would say, Daddy, 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 make a shape. And this is how this game would work, okay? I would like then do a strange thing, all right, with my body, okay? It might be this, or you know, this, or, or whatever. And the, the, the challenge was, who could climb Dad, okay? So, you know, I might be like this, and the kids are like, you know, trying to climb up to get on top of me. I mean, it was fun. It was fun. I couldn't do that with my six foot two, two hundred twenty-five pound son anymore. I don't think. Okay, he can make a shape, and I can try to climb him. I couldn't do that either. Um, but I loved wrestling with my kids. If you're a dad or a mom, for that matter, maybe you, maybe you enjoy doing that. Maybe you don't. Um, that's something I used to do a lot, and I kind of miss it. Kind of miss it. I do wrestle with my sixteen-year-old son sometimes, but he's tough and he hurts me, so I try to stay away. You know. I didn't wrestle with my dad much. He, did, he just didn't, it just wasn't something he liked to do, you know. My father was a typical, I heard leave it to beaver world today somewhere, um, that my father was, was a typical dad of the 70s, you know. He worked, provided for us, came home and worked around the yard, and then, you know, we would talk a little bit, and then, then he would go to bed. I just, you know, love him dearly. It was just, it was just different. It was just different in a lot of ways. I do remember one time, though, I, one time I remember wrestling with my father. One time. And we're wrestling around in the living room, okay? And, you know, I'm probably, I don't know, I picture maybe seven, eight years old, okay? And I'm wrestling with my dad. And obviously, you know, he's, he's allowing me to win, all right? And, and I remember this so clearly. We're, we felt we were on the couch, okay, wrestling around, and we fell down between the couch and the coffee table, okay? Can you picture it? And, and the way it turned out, he landed on his back. I know now as a dad that he did that on purpose, right, dads? When you're wrestling, you're very careful not to hurt your children. So I'm sure, you know, he sort of guarded things and fell down on his back, and then I landed on top of him. And I remember I jumped up on my knees now on his shoulders, okay? Because I got him pinned, right? And I remember he said, so what you going to do now, boy? What he said to me. I remember so clearly this thought came through my mind. I didn't really want to hit him. I didn't want to hurt him, but I, I wanted to win, you know? I don't know where this came from. I, I, nobody ever taught me this. I, I don't know if I... I didn't see it on YouTube because it didn't exist then, but I took my two fingers like this, all right, and I grabbed hold of his nose like this, and I squeezed with all of my might and pulled. I don't know why I did this. Have you ever seen somebody who has that done to them? I think the guy who wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that his son must have done that to him. Because this is what happens. When you grab hold of your nose like this, I won't do it, and pull with all of your might, this bruise forms on the end of your nose. And the whole end of your nose turns like blood red and turns black over the next couple of days. I did this to my father. I remember, I mean, I pulled it as hard as I could. And he's, <gasps> shocked look on his face, and he holds his face. I said, why did you do that? It was just a matter of a few minutes. It was beet red. Well, I instantly got up and went running back to my bedroom because I was in trouble. He was going to spank me or something. I mean, that's how we did it at my house. Whew. The thing is, I got back to my bedroom. And I remember, I, I had to be older than eight because I remember it so clearly, you know. I got back there, and I had this huge sense of guilt. 
I really did. I, I, I felt so wrong. I really try, I was trying to hurt him. My dad was wrestling. He never did this. He gave me a gift. And I sincerely made an effort to hurt him. And it worked. Now, my dad has forgiven me, okay? He's not mad at me, anything like that. But I tell you, it does give us a glimpse into the human heart. Let's say I was 10, because that feels a little better then, okay? Of a 10-year-old heart. Look at this passage of Scripture. I'll put it up on the screen. It's from Romans chapter 7. And um, if we can get that up there for me, there it is. Paul wrote, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality is we are all sinners, every one of us. And sometimes that is portrayed for us very, very brightly and vividly for us to see. And other times it's kind of hidden away. But the reality is we are all sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. And once in a while we feel it. But we can also feel forgiveness in Christ today. And I want to talk about that today. We're going to be in the book of Daniel, all right? Why don't you find, if you have a Bible, you're going to need one today, okay? So open up your Bible, electronic or paper, whatever you got, and go to Daniel chapter 9. Now, this is the third week we've been in this chapter of Scripture, Daniel chapter 9. This is an outstanding passage of Scripture. You guys have heard of Sir Isaac Newton? He's a big name, right? What you don't realize about him is he was a follower of Christ. Isaac Newton was a follower of Jesus. And about Daniel chapter 9, he said this, If a person can read this passage of Scripture and understand what it means and still deny the existence of God and Jesus Christ, he doesn't understand how they can ever do that. He said, this passage alone, what we're going to look at today, is proof enough of the veracity of the Bible. That means the truthfulness of the Bible. We're going to see today in Daniel chapter 9 that God has a great grand plan that he's working out all around us. And listen, God has chosen in his grace to graft us into His plan. Into His his plan to bless the world. That's how Romans describes it. He has grafted you and I, He's given us the opportunity now to be grafted into the great plan that God has to deal with the wretched man that I am. A ten-year-old that will bruise his father's nose on purpose needs forgiveness. How much more does a 46-year-old man who's now had 46 years to fine-tune my ability to sin, right? We need Christ. Daniel understood that. Daniel understood that. And he was looking for a Savior. And today I want to look at this and try to understand, and I want to tell you, we're going to have to go quick today. You're going to have to listen in a hurry, all right? Because there's a lot of content today that I want to get through. And and I I promise you that if you make it through this, okay, there is a golden ring at the end, and it will will encourage your heart. But it's going to be a rocky road along the ways, okay? And so you stay with me, and we will try try to muscle our way through this passage. It's a great one. It's a great one. I'm going to start in at verse number 20, Daniel chapter 9. Verse number 20 is where I'm going to start today. But I want to remind you a little bit about what's going on. Daniel was a Jewish man now, approaching, well, well over, that is, 70 years of age. He is an old Jewish man now, part of the Israeli nation. When he was a teenager, he lived in Israel, 
And the Babylonians came in war and demolished the nation of Israel, killed many people, and took a few back to Babylon as captives, as slaves. And Daniel was one of those people. And he lived there in a pagan world, a world that did not know the God of the Bible, and he lived for Christ in a dramatic way. And God elevated him in in remarkable ways. God raised up Daniel to point to the coming Christ. God placed him in positions of great authority and influence to point people to the coming Christ, just like he does in all of our lives. God does that. Now, you may not feel very elevated, but God has you at a place where you can point people to Christ, just like Daniel did. Now, we talked about the re- God had a reason that he allowed his people. You realize that Israel is, they are God's people. God made promises to them. He had a relationship with them, a special relationship. And part of that relationship was this. You obey me, and I will bless you. You disobey me, and I will curse you. We hear that today, and we might rightly call it the prosperity gospel. In the Old Testament, it's called the Mosaic Covenant. And God made this deal with the nation of Israel. You obey me, and I will bless you. And I will bless the whole world through you. However... If you disobey me, I will curse you. Now, you might think that's a pretty cool deal. You might think, I'd like to have that deal. I'd like it if God would say, if I obey him, he'll bless me. I'd like it if, if, if it would work out that way, that if I do, if I follow God's rules, then my business will prosper. Then my crops will, pro- will prosper. My car will keep running long when it's over when it should, you know. We think we'd like that deal. But... We wouldn't like that deal. It never goes well. You know why? Wretched man that I am. Over and over and over, the nation of Israel rebelled against God. One of the ways that they rebelled against God was this. God said, here's what I want you to do. You trust me? Yeah, we trust you. We trust you, Yahweh. We trust you, Jehovah. You really do trust me. Yes, we trust you. Okay, do this. Do not work on the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. But God, all the neighbors around will be working. How will I provide for myself? All the neighbors around will be mowing their grass. My yard's going to look like garbage. Are you sure? God says, trust me. Don't work on the Sabbath. See, that's what the Sabbath rule was about. But there was another one. God said, you trust me? The nation of Israel said, yeah, we trust you. You're Yahweh. You're Jehovah. We trust you. Okay, do this. Every seven years, every seven years, don't plant crops. Plant nothing every seven years. For a year, every seventh year, for a year, let the ground lay fallow. Do not not plant. Don't sow any seed. God, Israel said, how will we eat? How will we survive? How will we make it? God says, I am your provider. I will provide for you. Now, what we know from 2 Chronicles 36, okay? From 2 Chronicles 36, verse number 21, the nation of Israel didn't do that. Seventy of those Sabbath years went by, and they didn't take the year off. So for 490 years, Israel did not practice this Sabbath year concept. So God said, Fine. 
I told you, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. So God said, I will raise up Babylon. And they will come and take you captive into Babylonia. And now the land will lie fallow. No one will plant. No one will sow. No one will reap. Guess how long God allowed that to go? Seventy years. Seventy years. This isn't just the Bible that says this. History records this as well. History records this 70-year period where Israel was captive in Babylonia. God proves His Word over and over and over. Daniel chapter 9, in verse number 20, what's happened is Daniel has realized that that 70-year period, the 70-year captivity, the 70-year correction by God is coming to an end. So verse number 20 says this, While I was speaking and praying, and the first 19 verses are his prayer. We talked about that over the last two weeks, well, three weeks. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. So this was not a prayer of, oh God, give me a red car, a red Corvette, a 1973 red Corvette. That wasn't his prayer. No. Confessing my sin and the sin of Israel. He's dealing with business. He's doing business with him and God. The nation of Israel and God. While I'm presenting these pleas before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God, that's Jerusalem, while I was speaking in prayer, now notice what happens. This is, this is a strange answer to prayer. Daniel's looking for a Savior, okay? Now he's praying and God's going to respond. God's going to respond. While he was praying, the man Gabriel, who I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Folks, this is an angel. Now, this is a unique circumstance. This is a very unique circumstance. Gabriel only shows up three times in your whole Bible. 66 books of the Bible, Gabriel shows up three times. One to Daniel, this time. One to Zechariah to tell him that he would have a son. His name would be John, John the Baptist. And once to Mary, when, God, when Gabriel came to Mary and said, Behold, you have a child, okay? And it's, you know, from God, all that kind of stuff. Gabriel doesn't show up often, but he does here. So alert. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Gabriel comes. Notice in verse 21, by the way, I just want to mention this just briefly. When does Gabriel come? At the time of the evening sacrifice. Well, what is that? That is the time that God had declared that in Jerusalem, they would then have a sacrifice to the Lord there in the temple. They'd bring an animal and they would slay this animal and they would spill out blood that their sins might be temporarily covered so they can have fellowship with God. This is what God commanded that they do in Jerusalem every single day. But it's interesting. Where is Daniel when he prays this? Can you name where he's at? Babylon. What happened to Jerusalem? Smashed. But Daniel, I love this phrase. You know what this means? Daniel continued to follow his Lord. Every day. There was no sacrifice. There is no temple now, folks. But Daniel... A man of God, at this time, he knows God is pleased if he comes to him at this time and worships him. So there he is. There is no temple. 
There is no sacrifice. The nation of Israel is in ruins, and Daniel remains a follower of God. I love that about Daniel. Time of the evening sacrifice, he's praying. Gabriel comes to him. Listen to what Gabriel says. Verse 22. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel. This is an angel now talking to Daniel. Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Daniel is praying like crazy. Oh God, we have sinned. I come before you. And God sends the angel Gabriel to share with him a truth that now we are like 2,500 years later and it's going to resonate in our hearts today. Can I just say this? Man prays, God responds. Man prays, God responds. You have eternity on your heart, folks. It is very natural for you to pray. When things are rough, when things are hard, when times are troubled, we don't know where to go. Listen, God, the God of the universe says, come to me, come to me. Now in reality, we need Christ to approach him, but I want to say to you, if you're struggling today, if you're in anguish, if, if it feels like your world is shaking, man prays, God responds. He loves his children. You were born, you were made, you were designed for relationship with God. If you're in Christ today, you were recreated now to have a relationship with him. Man prays, God responds. Let's take a little journey in your Bible now, okay? Let's, let's see what's going on. Go back in your Bible to Jeremiah. Go back a couple pages, okay? Go back a couple pages to Jeremiah chapter 30. We're going to take three quick journeys in Jeremiah today to understand what's going on. I want to show you what it is that Daniel's praying for. I want us to understand why is this man of God at time of the evening sacrifice praying? Why is he praying? What is he praying for? And how does God answer to this prayer? How does it, how does it connect to our lives today? Jeremiah chapter 30 is an interesting section of Scripture. 30, 31, 32, 33. Jeremiah is in prison when he wrote this. It's about the same time as Daniel was alive. Jeremiah is still back in Jerusalem in the ruins now. He's going to be killed. He's going to die. But the Babylonians came several times and attacked Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is still there. Daniel's already captive when Jeremiah wrote this. And Daniel or Jeremiah is now writing to the people of God and saying, listen, this was, this was Jeremiah's job. Jeremiah was a preacher. His job was to come to the people of God and say, listen, because of your disobedience, God is going to discipline us. And there's nothing you can do about it. It is what it is. So love Him anyway. How, how was that message received? Jeremiah comes to the people of God and says, listen, you have sinned, and because of your sin, God is going to punish you. So keep loving Him. That was Jeremiah's message. All right? And we see it in Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Write in a book all the words I've spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. What is God saying to the people of Israel through Jeremiah? Don't worry. I got a plan. I've got to, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. But don't worry. See, this is what Daniel was longing for. He was longing for God to bring them back to Israel. He had every reason to believe that they would. Jeremiah says some more. Verse number 15. Look down at that now. 30, 15. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. That's not a real positive message, is it? Verse 16. Therefore, he's going to encourage them now. All who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. You see, God had allowed the Babylonians to come and take the nation of Israel captive. But the whole time there's promises made, you're going to come back. I'm going to fulfill my word. I'm going to fulfill. Now here's what happened to many of the Jewish people. Maybe even Daniel was tempted to this. And it happens to us even today. The nation of Israel, they're in captivity now. And they say, oh God, come back and destroy the Babylonians. Oh God, come back and wipe out the Babylonians. Win the day for us. Win the day. Be our leader. Be the victor. Be a general. And win the day for us. And God is saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. But first, we have to deal with a problem. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to the God and Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, here's what happens to so many of us. We want God to rule. We want God to reign. We sing praises to God. And that's great. Man, I love singing with you. But the reality is, before God is going to come and restore anything, He's got to fix our soul. He's got to fix our spirit. And that's where, that's what Gabriel, remember the angel Gabriel who came to Daniel? Daniel wants to hear, okay, now you're going to come. You're going to come be victorious. And Gabriel says, no, first, there's a bigger problem we've got to deal with. Okay? Now let's read it. And now you've got to hold on. Okay, go back to Daniel chapter 9. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. All right. He says in verse 24. This is who talking? Think about the answer to this question. Who's talking? Right, Gabriel. He's speaking on behalf of whom? Right, the Lord, okay? So good, good. All right, verse 24, Gabriel says, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophecy, and to anoint a most holy Place. Know therefore and understand 
that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. To the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and to offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is end and is poured out on the desolator. Okay, we'll wrap that up. All right, you guys have a great week. Live for Jesus. What does all that mean, right? Let's try to understand this today because it is, it, it is amazing when we can, under, if we can get to where we understand what this passage is saying, it is amazing. It is, it, is a, it is proof of the divine nature of God's Word. And I want, us to, I want us to try to work through this, okay? First of all, go to the verse number 24. Verse number 24, okay? I want you to see here, now God is answering. He's answering regarding man's condition. Man's condition is going to require God's answer, okay? He's going to share his purpose in verse number 24. He says, 70 weeks are decreed. Now, your translation may say something a little different. Because this word weeks is literally the word seven, So literally what it says here is 77s are decreed about your people. The NIV gets it right here. It says 77s. The New Living Translation says 70 sets of seven. You see, the word seven in the Israel culture was like our word dozen. You could walk into Dunkin' Donuts right now and say, hey, give me a dozen. Now, they probably wouldn't actually know what you're talking about over here. Because they serve donuts and ice cream. And they also serve some really good sandwiches, by the way. Okay? So they wouldn't know when you walked in and said, give me a dozen, they don't know whether you mean a dozen cups of coffee, a dozen donuts, a dozen ice cream sandwiches. Okay? Maybe you got a real ice cream problem and you want to have a dozen. They wouldn't know. It's the same way in the Hebrew culture with the number seven. You wouldn't walk into Dunkin' Donuts and say, give me a dozen donuts in Israel. You'd walk in a Dunkin' Donuts and say, give me a hepta of donuts. And that was seven. And everything, most everything, operated in groups of seven. It's just how their culture did it. So when Daniel said 70, ESV says weeks, NIV says sevens, 70 sets of sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. Who is your people here? Who's Gabriel talking to? Think about it. Right, Daniel. So 77s are decreed for the nation of Israel and its holy city. And for a purpose. Look at it now. To finish the transgression. Now watch these. We're going to break this up into, yeah, two sets of threes. Okay? we got the first three, the second three. The first three are kind of negative. The second three are positive. But I want you to hear this and see what God is promising God, through Gabriel, to Daniel, to us today, is promising He's going to do something. Okay? He's going to do it in 77s. What's that mean? I'll get there in a minute. Okay? But I want you to know what it is He's going to do. First, the three negatives. He says, I'm going to finish transgression. I'm going to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity. 
What does that mean? Well, let me help you understand it. First of all, the word transgression. You know what that means? It literally means rebellion. The word transgression means to be given a law and to rebel against it and say, no. That's the word transgression. So when you're riding down the road and the speed limit is 70 and you're going 75, you are a transgressor. Why? Because you're rebelling against the law. Got that? He says, this time period is going to be about finishing transgression. So God is going to put an end to the rebellion that man has against God. It's interesting here, transgression is singular. It's singular. So he's not, this doesn't mean he's going to take care of the one sin that you committed. That's not what it means. He's going to finish the singular problem that you and I have. You know what the singular problem is we have? Your problem isn't that you, you, know, you speed or that you steal cookies from the cookie jar or, or you have bad thoughts. That's not your problem. Our problem is our sin nature. It's internal. It's our soul. It's our spirit. It's cursed. And so it's, it rebels and it sins. Do you know why you steal cookies from that cookie jar? Because of your nature. Because of your nature. That's why you want to go 72 when the speed limit's 70. And you say, just like all my kids did, everybody else is going that fast. Right? That's transgression, folks. God says, I'm putting an end to transgression. I'm going to fix your problem. you got a problem. You rebel against God. That's not all he's going to do. Look what else he's going to do. He's going to end the sin. Now this one's plural. He's going to end sins. So he's going to fix the problem of our gut. And he's going to take care of the fruit of our sin. You get that? He's going to finish transgression. So this problem you and I have rebellion, finished. Oh, I can't wait for that. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death that hurts my own dad, right? He's going to finish that rebellion. He's going to put an end to sin. So when this thing happens that we're waiting for, that's going to be a while, when it comes, you and I won't sin anymore. Oh, I long for that. I long for that. I long for the day when I can watch an NFL football game and not struggle to sin. I long when I can ride through beautiful neighborhoods and see your lovely yard and not want it as mine. Right? End of sin, he's saying. And, and atone for iniquity. You know what that means? God is going to pay the price. The price is going to be paid. Atone means to bring together. God is going to do what needs done so that we are brought back to God in relationship with Him. This is what God's going to do. He's going to fix your problem. All right? Going to deal with your rebellion. Going to change your nature. He's going to deal with the fruit of that nature, our sin. And He's going to retire the debt that we owe Him. Oh, that is good stuff. This is what God's going to do. That's all the negative things. But this side is positive. That's not all God's going to do. He's going to do more than that. Notice what he says. Go back to the passage. Bring in everlasting righteousness. 
seal up vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. What is this? What is this? He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. What this means is God is going to impute to us His righteousness. He's going to impute to His people His righteousness. Impute means to take and give to another, though they don't deserve it. So this means not the first side over here. God's going to wipe out all the sin. He's going to take care of our sin nature. going to deal with the debt that we can't pay. Over here, He's going to now put in us righteousness. So now, rather than my... See, my nature now is speed. Speed. 80, 90, 100. I want to drive fast. But when this thing happens, my nature now will be to obey God. I will, I will want to obey him. The penalty and the, the power of sin gone and the presence. Righteousness given. It's more than that too. Seal up vision and prophecy. You know what that means? What I'm doing now won't have to be done. You and I will know everything. We will know everything that God has in this, we, we have infinite knowledge of what is true of God. When this thing happens, whatever this is, when it happens, I'm out of a job. Because there'll be no one who needs to be taught. Seal up vision, so no reason to share truth that God has given, and seal up prophecy or revelation about God. When this thing occurs, you will know all there is to know about God. That is something else. And the last thing, to anoint a most holy place. You know what that means? That means that now worship of God will be complete. God will anoint a most holy place so now we can worship God completely and wholly. And so you'll praise God and there'll be, remember these two pieces. There'll be, there'll, you won't be worshiping God and have some memory of how you spoke to your wife this week. You won't be worshiping God and remember the thought that came through your mind. You won't be worshiping God and have some guilt about something that you did long ago or this morning. Instead, you'll have the righteousness of God. You'll be able to worship God completely because you'll know all. I don't know about you, but I want this. I want this. Journey number two to Jeremiah. Go back to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Chapter 31, verse 31. Jeremiah wrote about exactly what Gabriel is talking about. Jeremiah wrote exactly about what Gabriel was telling Daniel was coming. Look what he said. Chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, Jeremiah writes, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. You remember that. A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Not like that one. Not like that. Not that two-way covenant where you obey, you're blessed, you disobey, you're cursed. No, 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 no. This is a new covenant. A new covenant. Look what it says. For this is my covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen, I will put my law within them. We call this the law, and that's fine. 
But the law is more than, it's more than this. The law is the very character of God. It is the nature of God. It is everything that is true about God. He's going to put it inside. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother and say, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We call that the new covenant. It's the promise that God made through Jeremiah, reiterated to Daniel, and the offer, Romans chapter 10, 11, the offer to you is to be grafted in to that promise. You can know God that way. It's a pretty significant promise that God has made. Now, oh, you're kidding. It's 1147. All right, so go back to the passage. You've been laughing at me the whole time. That's what it was, Pastor Brock. You knew. So let's go back to the passage. So when is this going to happen? Do you want to know when this is going to happen? Yeah, me too. Go back to the beginning. Verse number 24. Now, I've got about 28 slides to put up on this screen. We're going to have to be real quick. Okay, I hope you can... If you have a photographic memory, that'd be helpful right now. Okay? All right, let's walk through this. Let's look at the 70 weeks of Daniel. Here's God's plan. Now, notice he says 70 weeks. One more, please. 70 weeks, okay? But he divides it up in a strange way. Did you notice that? Look what it says here, okay? He says in verse number 25, Know therefore, from understanding that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem and the coming of the one and one of prince, there shall be, that was quick, wasn't it? Seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat. Now let's, okay, class, what is seven plus 62? 69, good. All right, Clat, you're very good at math. Now go back to verse number 24. How many weeks did he say there were going to be? 70. Hmm. Okay, class, what's 70 minus 69? One. What in the world is he saying? God is saying this. I have, God said, i got a plan for Israel, and it's going to take me 70 weeks of years the reason why I say years because beginning of chapter 9, Daniel. Daniel's been talking years the whole time. So now we've got 77 units. Se- not 77, but 70 units of 7 years. Okay, class, do the math. What's 70 times 7? Equals 490. Go ahead. So what we have here is 49 years, 434 years, and 7 years. Now, i got to go real fast now, okay? Hit another slide. I'll throw, I don't know what's on the screen, so let's see what happens. Okay. The amazing thing about this passage is this. He tells us when these 69 weeks are going to start. Can you look at the passage and see it? Hmm. Know, therefore, and understand, that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then 62 weeks, it shall be able to give him squares and moat, but in a troubled time. It's as if God has this giant stopwatch. Okay? He says, I'm going to work for 70 weeks. And it's going to start when Israel said, go back and rebuild. 
go back and rebuild. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 2. That's where Israel has said, go back and rebuild. Artaxerxes, okay, he was the king of the ruling nation and said, okay, Nehemiah, go rebuild. And when they rebuilt, God had a giant stopwatch and went boom and started. Click, 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 click. And now 69 weeks, we're going to tick off. Let me tell you something that will blow your mind, okay? Hit another slide for me, I think. One more. All right. You can't see it, but that's perfect. Um, over here, 445. We know when Artaxerxes did this. It's a historical record when this happened. If you march off from the moment that he signed that decree and mark off 69 Jewish weeks, you land at a day, and either 32 or 33, there's some debate about the year zero, how we're going to figure it, that you land at the year 32, 33, the very, the very day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It's exactly 183,800 and some odd days from the moment that Artaxerxes signed that decree. If you started now every day, another page of the calendar, and went through the, all these days, 69 Jewish years, you would land that on the very last day of your calendar, you would turn it over, and right at that moment, Jesus walk, well, rides into Jerusalem on a colt. What happened? Daniel's passage, Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled. Look at it. After 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. You know what that word anointed one is? That's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word there. Okay? If, we were to, if you were to pull out your Hebrew Old Testament, you would find this word. I'll just tell you what it is in English. Messiah. Messiah. If you pulled out your Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, you know what word is there for anointed one? Christ. Daniel is writing well before the time when Artaxerxes was even, Artaxerxes was even living. And he nailed the exact date that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem. Now let me say this, and we're not, I'm completely out of time, Okay. All right, class, how many weeks did Gabriel tell Daniel we had? Seventy. When the Messiah came to Jerusalem, how many had gone by? Sixty-nine. So how many more weeks we got? One. One. Where's it at? Where's, where's that one? Well, that's mysterious, isn't it? How mysterious that 69 weeks went by and there's still this, like, you know, remainder of one, R1, right? What's the deal with that? Well, let me just say this. It's still to come. It's still to come. It hasn't happened yet. And praise God, we right now are in a pause. Remember God's stopwatch? Click, 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 click. Time goes by. Jesus walks in. And God stops his time. And it seems mysterious. 
And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul called it. He said, this church age is a mystery. They didn't even know it was even going to happen in Daniel's day. They didn't didn't realize it was going to happen. But right now we're in the middle of this mystery. And there's coming a time where God is going to wrap up His plan and finish dealing with our sin. Turn in your Bible one more place and then I'll stop. Go to the Gospel of Luke. Go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 19, sorry. Luke 19. What happened in Luke number 19, above verse 28, my Bible says, the triumphal entry. See, Jesus came with His disciples into Jerusalem. He said, oh, I've looked forward to this day. Here's what I want you to do. Go to a man and ask him, tell him you want to use this donkey. You want to use it. He says, why should I let you use it? Say, God wants to use it. Okay. So they went and did it. And what do you know? It worked. And they come back in verse number 35. They brought it to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on the colt. And then Jesus sat on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already all the way down the Mount of Olives, they're in Jerusalem now, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is it. This is the 69th week. He's here. The Messiah, the Anointed One, He's here. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees were there. They knew what this meant. They knew Daniel. They knew Jeremiah. They knew what the prophets had said. They knew what this meant. And they came to the crowd and they said, Teacher, to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Shut them up. How dare them? Jesus said this. And now, won't this make sense? Won't this make sense when you read this? When they're saying, shut your disciples up, Jesus said this. I'll tell you. If they're silent, the very stones will cry out because I am the one, is what he said. He is the one. This moment has been waited for now for 483 years plus seven more waiting for the Messiah to come back to town. To go to a cross and die in our place. And Jesus said to his disciples that very night, the cup, this is my blood shed for you. And this is the new covenant. You see, because of what Jesus did, when that 70th week of years comes, you and I will have our transgressions finished, our sins ended, our iniquity atoned for, imputed righteousness, 
There'll be no need for a prophecy or, or anybody else to tell you about Jesus. We'll be able to worship Him completely. Because we're in Christ today. Great truth from Daniel. It's amazing. It is amazing the absolute correct nature of God's prophecy. It is so accurate that skeptics come to a... This is the passage that makes them come to Daniel and say, either this is from God or it's a farce. It cannot ride the fence. It is too precise and too correct. It's either got to be a lie or from God. Are you in Him today? Are you in the Lamb? Has the Lamb of God finished your transgression? And when the lion comes to complete the 70 weeks, will you come with Him victorious? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your work. Thank You for the truth that we have in You. Lord, we want to celebrate and worship You today. Give us that opportunity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.